Okay, so we're going to get into God's Word. I want to pray, though, before we do that and ask His help. We do ask Your help right now, O Father, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Lord, I am so very aware that I have no ability apart from You to be able to bless or edify or bring grace to anybody. And so, Lord, we, we look to You. We are inadequate in ourselves, but we don't depend upon ourselves or our abilities. We look to heaven. Lord, I ask for the unction of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd make the gospel of Jesus Christ very, very clear, very plain, and very powerful today. In Jesus' name, amen. We have begun a series on beholding Christ in Genesis. And we've seen that Jesus is the star of the entire Bible. He's the hero wherever you turn, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. Jesus himself taught this. He, he said that wherever you read in the law or the Psalms or the prophets, it's all about me. And so we've gone back to the very first book of our Bible, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, to see Jesus there. And we saw how he is the creator. And then we saw that he is our Sabbath. He's the one we rest in. For everlasting life. Well, this morning we're going to continue that whole theme. And what I want you to see this morning is that the Bible is basically the story of three different trees. It's the story of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the story of the tree of life. And it's the story of the tree of Calvary. And if you understand those three trees, you understand the main message of your Bible. So first of all, let's take a look at the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. And so we have to open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. And let's take a look, starting in verse 9. It says, Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, how many trees were actually given names? Only two. Only two trees. The rest of them were left unnamed. These two were given names. And these two trees were positioned in the midst of the garden. So they were easily accessible. Everyone could see them. Everyone could approach them, look at them, look at the fruit that was dangling from these two trees. And so here, we're just introduced to the fact that there were two specific, unique trees there in the midst of the garden. One of them is called the tree of life, and the other maybe should have been called the tree of death. But it wasn't. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think I understand why. If God had called one the tree of life and the other tree of death, there wouldn't have been any real temptation associated with eating of that tree. Who would want to eat from the tree of death? But instead, it's called the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil, something that sounds very alluring, very desirable to eat from that particular tree. And actually, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a pretty good name because once Adam had eaten from that tree, he would know the good that he had just forfeited and he would know the evil that he had just inherited. So let's keep reading. I want you to go down to verse 16 now. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, 
But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. How many trees could Adam eat from? All except for just one. Isn't that amazing? He, he is, it's a wide open paradise. Adam, eat from whatever you want. Eat those peaches over there and those apricots. And I'm sure there was bushes like you know strawberry bushes, raspberry bushes. Just have have your pick of whatever you want. There's just one. It's in the middle. It has a special name. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. And in the day that you eat from it, Adam, you'll surely die. So there we have the situation spelled out for Adam. Now, what would have happened if Adam had never eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? <laughs> yeah. He'd still be alive today. Adam would still be walking the earth today. He'd be alive. He only died, and he died first initially spiritually, and then later he died physically. But his physical death was related to sin. Adam would still be alive today. And sin would never have come into this world, and this world would still be a paradise. It would be the Garden of Eden throughout the entire earth. There would be no crime. There would be no uh, the ravaging of sin. There would be no heartache and misery. There would be no wars. It would be incredible. But that's not what happened. In the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, of course, for Adam to obey that command meant that Adam would have to be perpetually dependent upon God because God knows what's good and evil. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If Adam eats from it, oh, I don't need God anymore because now I can know what's good and I can know what's evil. But if I trust God and I obey God, I'm going to have to trust for him to tell me what's good and what's evil, and I'm going to have to be dependent upon Him. I'm going to have to ask Him in whatever situation I encounter, Lord, is this good or would that be evil? You see, He's going to have to live in dependence upon God. Well, we know what happened, don't we? The serpent came to the woman, and the serpent began to beguile her and deceive her through his cunning deceptions, didn't he? And he began to lie to her about what God had said. And so eventually the woman caved and she ate of the fruit and then she gave the fruit to her husband and he ate. And the whole world has been ruined by the fall ever since. Now, as we think our way through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I want you to see four tragic results that have come about because of eating from this tree. First one is sin. Sin would never have entered the world had it not been that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Tim Chester, in a book called You Can Change, writes this. He says, Sin happens when we don't trust God above everything and when we don't desire God above everything. Sin happens when we believe lies about God instead of God's word, and when we worship idols instead of worshiping God. A sinful desire is a desire that is bigger than God. Okay? Sinful desire is a desire that's bigger than God. 
What, what do we call something that in our mind and heart is bigger than God? An idol. Sin is at the root. It's idolatry. Because we desire something or we believe something more than we desire or believe God. And that's exactly what Satan had been able to do to Eve. He got her to believe something other than what God had said. God said, in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. The serpent said, you shall not surely die. Who's she going to believe? She ended up believing the lie of Satan. She desired something more than she desired God. What was Eve desiring in that moment? Knowledge. She desired knowledge. Why did she desire knowledge? Because she wanted to be independent of God. Why would she want to be independent of God? Who is she worshiping? Herself. She's lifting herself up. Just the very same sin that Satan committed when he said, I will be like the Most High God, and he lifted himself up in pride. Pride seems to be at the root of all the sins that we commit because we treat ourselves as if we were God ourselves when in fact we're not. And so through the eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin entered the world. In fact, that's what we find in our New Testaments in the book of Romans. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now when he says here, all sinned, he's not saying that all sinned individually, he's saying that all sinned in Adam. In other words, when Adam sinned, his sin was put to the account of the entire human race. In a very real sense, you and I have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first sin, And that's original sin, and that's the sin God imputes to the entire human race, except for Jesus Christ. He was the only exception. We are born with that sin on our account. And then, if you'll take a look at verse 19, Paul says, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. Through Adam's disobedience, the many, that's all of us, we were made sinners. Over in Psalm 14. Have you ever wondered what God sees when He looks down from heaven upon the human race? We have an answer here. The Lord, this is Psalm 14 too. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You say, well, Brian, I know the Bible's wrong there because I know some good people. My mom, my dad. I've got a good neighbor. I've got a friend at school, and they're good people. How can the Bible say there's no one who does good? Well, when you say that that person is good, who are you comparing them to? Another human being. You're comparing them to Adolf Hitler, right? (laughs) Or or the criminal uh, that is raped and murdered. When God looks down from heaven and says there's no one who does good, who's he comparing them to? Himself. And when God compares any person to himself, we are wicked, vile, corrupt, deceitful, depraved sinners. Rebellious. Look over at Psalm 143. 
Psalm 143 in verse 2. And do not enter into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight no man living is righteous. See, that's in God's sight. Now, in our sight, we say, well, he looks to be like a pretty righteous person, but we're not talking about our sight. We're talking about God's sight. When God looks down and he compares mankind with his own utter, infinite holiness, his utter hatred and abhorrence of all sin, he says the whole world is corrupt. There's no one who does good. There's no man righteous in all the world. So by partaking of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the very first tragic result was sin. Sin entered the world. The second result was the curse. There was a curse pronounced when sin came in. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 17. Then to Adam he, that is God, said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken... For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, as soon as Adam and Eve eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God says the ground's cursed. It's going to grow thorns and thistles. And you are going to derive your living, your sustenance, your survival, by the sweat of your brow. Now that tells me that things were different before this sin took place. Seems to me like they would just walk out and just pick their banana for their breakfast. You know, there was no sweat. There was no uh, difficult labor. There were no thorns and thistles that they had to root out. There was no weeds growing anywhere. It was paradise. And now everything's changed. They're going to have to work and work hard and, and work sweaty in order just to survive day by day. But that's not the only thing that was affected by this curse, the woman was affected too. Look at verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So what are the two aspects of the woman's life that were affected by the curse? Pain and childbearing. In relationship to her husband, her husband would rule over her. It seems like perhaps before sin came in, there wasn't uh, there wasn't sinful dominion of men dominating over other women. Um, so I don't know if, if he's talking here about a sinful dominion or simply the fact that after the fall, woman is going to have to submit to her husband. But there was a difference that took place. Pain in childbirth. How many women here have had babies? Is that true? Is this is this curse true? Is it still in effect on the world? (laughs) You know it, Pastor Brian, right? (laughs) And not only was the woman affected, not only was the man affected, but even the serpent was affected. Look at uh, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Satan had inhabited this animal. So God's talking to the serpent. Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all cattle 
and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Apparently, the serpent didn't crawl on his belly before this time. We don't really know. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us what the serpent looked like before the fall, but he apparently wasn't crawling and slithering on his belly and eating dust. He was moving in some other way, like the other beasts that God had made. So now his legs are gone, and the only way he can get around is to slither around on the ground and eat dust. And that was God's curse upon the serpent. So, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's associated with sin entering the world. It's associated with this worldwide curse that affects every person on the planet. It affects us. Third tragic result, death. God said, in the day that you eat from that tree, you will surely die. Now, let's just think this one through. Did Adam and Eve die physically on the day they ate from that fruit? They didn't, did they? They lived another 900 years. Well, then, was God lying? Did they die? Eventually. Eventually, the seeds of death started growing in them, and the aging process started from that moment on, and eventually they died physically. But on that very day, they died in a different sense. They died in the relationship with God that they previously had enjoyed. Remember, the Bible says that God would walk with them in the cool of the day. You know, He made them in His own image. He gave them dominion over the entire planet. He said, rule over the birds and the fish and all that I've made. Uh, Be fruitful and multiply. And then God would walk and talk with them in the cool of the day and they'd have this intimate fellowship with Him. Well, what happens as soon as sin enters the world? Yes, they, they hide from God. Chapter 3 tells us, verse 7, The eyes of both of them were opened, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loin coverings for themselves. Before that, they were naked and they were not ashamed. They walked with God naked and they weren't ashamed at all because there was no sin. There was nothing to be ashamed about. Now they are ashamed. And verse 8 says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And instead of fellowshipping with God, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. They're no longer unashamed. They're no longer invited into this this glorious presence. They know that there is sin. They know that there's guilt between them and God, and so they hide and then they, they, sew, they sew these loin cloths, these, these fig leaves together to hide their nakedness from God. So things have changed, haven't they? Sin, curse, and then death, spiritual death. Their relationship to God has been altered. It's been changed dramatically. And then, of course, later, physical death will come in. But the fourth area, the fourth result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was alienation from God. And I want you to take a look at Genesis 3.22. Let's take a look at what happens as a result of their sin. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. 
So he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So as soon as man sinned, God cast him out from the garden. He is, paradise is lost. Man is thrust out of the immediate glorious presence of God there in the Garden of Eden. And in fact, he says, you can't come back in. He takes the cherubim, cherubim are special angels that God created. And the I am on the end of cherub, cherubim means that there's a plural number. So there's two or three or more, we don't know how many. But he took, he commanded these cherubs, this cherubim, to guard the way to the tree of life with a flaming sword. In other words, there's no way man could get back into the place from which he was originally created. It's gone. And the next time we find the tree of life, it's not going to be on earth. We will never find the tree of life after this incident on earth again. It's gone forever. It's out of man's earthly access. There is a tree of life, but it's in heaven. It's not on earth. So here we find... (laughs) Man driven out from the immediate presence of God. He's alienated from God. He dies in his relationship to God. He experiences God's curse upon the world, the serpent himself. And we also find sin just entering into and coming into the world through this original action. So that's what we have associated with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because we were in Adam when he sinned, we have also eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have sinned. We are under the curse. We have died spiritually in Adam. And we were alienated from God. Now, of course, conversion flips all that over and changes it all. But we are born into this world with all that true about us. Now, let's go to the second tree. The second tree is the tree of life. Let's talk about that second tree. What comes to man through the tree of life? And what we're going to see is that everything is reversed. Where there was sin through the first tree, there's righteousness through the second tree. Where there was the curse through the first tree, there is the blessing of healing through the second tree. Where there was death through the first tree, there's life through the second tree. And where there was alienation through the first tree, there is reconciliation through the last tree. So let's take a look at the righteousness that comes through the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22, the last book of your Bible. So we're going from the first book to the last book, from the beginning of human history to the very end of human history. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. So the tree of life is associated with being washed. They've washed their robes. Those who have washed robes can eat of the tree. So the tree of life is associated with this washing or this cleansing. But how does somebody get their robes washed? Well, Revelation chapter 7 tells us. Revelation 7, verse 14. And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white 
How? In the blood of the Lamb. Now, when's the last time you tried to wash your clothes in blood? You think it's going to work very well? We just pour a little blood into our, um, you know, into the washing machine, stir it around, out come red clothes, right? (laughs) Well, the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus Christ, the slain Lamb, the sacrificial sacrifice of God. His blood has a reversing effect. Instead of staining, it purifies. So, Blessed are those who have a right to the tree of life. They're the ones who have washed their robes. How do they wash them? In the blood of the Lamb. These are those people who are trusting in the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. They're the ones who have the right to eat of the tree of life. Now go back to Revelation 22, and I want you to notice verse 11. The Apostle John here is describing the eternal state And he says in verse 11, Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. In other words, after the new heavens and the new earth come into being, there can be no change. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. The one who dies in his sins will remain in his sins for all eternity. There is no possibility after this point in time of him ever becoming holy and righteous before God. He will forever be filthy. He will forever be unrighteous before a holy God. But the flip side is the one who dies holy and righteous because of the blood of the Lamb, because he trusts in the cross of Jesus Christ, that person will still be holy and will still be righteous forever. And there's no possibility of him ever reverting back to a filthy, sinful condition. That's good news. So those who eat of the tree of life, the first thing we see about them is that this tree of life is associated with righteousness, perfect righteousness, eternal righteousness, Righteousness that will never end. That cannot be improved upon. Because it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. Now the second thing that we see associated with the tree of life is not righteousness, it is healing. Instead of the curse, we find the blessing of healing. Go back to Revelation 22, the first three verses. And he showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. What nations do you suppose he's talking about? Every nation on earth. Every tribe, people, tongue, and nation upon the planet. The leaves of this tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And notice verse 3. And there shall no longer be any curse. Remember, that's how we started. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil brought in the curse. The tree of life takes it out. So, if there's no curse, what's replaced? What is, what's, what is replacing that curse? Well, it's the healing 
for the nations that comes from the tree of life. Well, healing of what? Everything that sin has ravaged the human race. Physical disease. Does anybody here have any problems in your body? Would you raise your hand if there's anything wrong with you at all physically? (laughs) I think because we are sinners, we suffer the physical effects of illness, disease, that would never have been in this world had it not been for sin. We would have perfect bodies, perfect health, perfect life forever, but that's not to be, is it? The healing of the nations. We are going to receive glorified bodies that will never get sick. Can someone say hallelujah? (laughs) No more operations, no more surgeries, no more downtime, no more throwing up, you know, no more temperature, no more fevers, no more anything. Perfect health. But I believe this healing of the nations goes further than just physical health. I think it's talking about every area in which we've been ravaged by sin. Don't you know that our minds have been affected by sin? Our hearts, our emotions have been affected by sin. Our wills have been affected by sin. We've got a broken thinker, a broken feeler, and a broken willer. (laughs) All of us have been corrupted and ravaged by sin. And in the eternal state, when we partake of this tree of life, We're going to think rightly about God. We're going to feel rightly about God. And we're going to feel rightly about sin. We are going to feel rightly and choose rightly in regard to God. Do you know that we're never going to commit an act of treason or rebellion again as long as we exist, which will be for all time? Because we'll be healed by the leaves of the tree of life. So instead of the curse, what do we find? Healing. The blessing of healing. And instead of death that came through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we find life. It's the tree of life. Look at Revelation 22.5. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Instead of death, There is the reigning with God forever and ever and ever. Life, life immortal, life eternal. That comes to us through the tree of life. And the fourth area, instead of alienation from God, the tree of life brings us reconciliation with God. Look with me at Revelation 22, verse 4. Well, let's back up to the second part of verse 3. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. Remember, they were removed from the throne of God and the Lamb in Eden. They were removed from God's immediate presence, cast out. Now the throne of God and of the Lamb is right there amongst them. And His bondservants shall serve Him. They're going to be with Him. They're going to serve Him. And they shall see His face. What a promise. To look upon the face of of our Savior, and bow before Him and worship at His feet. And His name shall be on their foreheads. These words speak of perfect and complete and utter reconciliation, don't they? Instead of alienation, we find reconciliation through the tree of life. Now the question that comes to us is, well, how does this happen? There's like, these are polar opposites. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is exactly opposite to the tree of life. So how do we go from eating from the one tree to eating of the other? And that's where the third tree comes in. 
the tree of Calvary. I don't think it's any accident that the cross is often referred to as a tree. Now, in the New American Standard, it's usually translated as cross. But if you go to the King James or the ESV or the New King James, it's usually translated as tree. They hung him on a tree. Acts 5.30, 1 Peter 2.24. You can look at those scriptures and you'll notice that the word is zulon in Greek. It can mean wood or cross or tree. I don't think it's an accident. There was a tree that got us into this mess and there's a tree that gets us out. So let's take a look at the tree of Calvary. First of all, what benefits come from the cross? How can we enjoy the benefits that come from eating of the tree of life? How do we do it? Well, we do it this way. The benefits that come from the tree of Calvary are the same benefits that we have from the tree of life. Righteousness, healing, life, and reconciliation. And let me show you that. Righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How does a person receive the righteousness of God? They do so because Jesus was made our sin. He was made sin for us. When he was dying on that cross, he was bearing our sin. He was being made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The cross is what gives us the benefit of righteousness. Well, what about the second one? Healing. 1 Peter 2.24 says that He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds you were what? Healed. The blessing of healing comes through his wounds. The, the wounds we're talking about is the wounds on his brow, his hands, his feet, and his side. The five wounds of Calvary. Those wounds purchased your eternal healing. We're not just talking about physical healing. We're talking about spiritual healing in its widest extent. So righteousness comes through the cross. Healing comes through the cross. What about the third one? Life. Does life come through the cross? Sure does. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Life comes through God giving up His Son unto death. And then what about reconciliation? Romans 5.10 says we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. So the tree of life is really the cross pointing us in this direction. But how can the cross give us righteousness and healing and life and reconciliation? Let me show you how. Jesus can do that because Jesus bears our sin. He bears our curse. He bears our death. And he bears our alienation. He bears our sin. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Yes. That's exactly right. That's when he bore our alienation. He was alienated from the Father so that we could be reconciled to the Father. So he bore our sin. He bore our alienation. He bore our death because it says that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly 
He died in the place of the ungodly. He, he, he died the death we should have died. We should have been on that cross suffering in shame and agony. Jesus took it for us. And then he also bore our curse. I want you to see this one. It's Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do it? Having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's how he did it. He bore our sin. He bore our curse. He bore our death. And he bore our alienation to bring us to the place where we receive all the benefits of this tree of life. Okay. Now let's wind this down and give some application to that. First of all, I want to ask a couple of questions. First, where is the tree of life today? Where was that? In heaven. It's in heaven. I want you to take a look at this. Revelation 2.7. This is our memory verse this week. For those of you who want to take up the challenge and be edified as you memorize this verse, Revelation 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. The paradise of God used to be on the earth. It's no longer here. But there still is a paradise of God in the heavens. That's where the tree of life is. Do you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross and he said to the thief next to him, Today you're going to be with me in paradise? There still remains a paradise for the redeemed sons of Adam. You and I. We're going to paradise, and that's where the tree of life is. But then the second question is, how can we receive of the fruit of the tree of life? How do we eat from it? Well, Revelation 2.7 gives us two clues here. It says, he who overcomes, I'm going to grant... Let me find it for you so I don't misread it. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Two things. Number one, Jesus grants us to eat of the tree of life. The one who overcomes, and we'll talk about that in a minute, that one is granted. It's given to him. It's a gift. The first thing we have to realize about these blessings we've been talking about is they're given directly by Jesus Christ as a gift, meaning they cannot be earned They cannot be paid for. They cannot be worked for. They cannot be deserved. They must be received as a gift from Jesus. In fact, Jesus said in John 6.65 that he would grant that person to come to him. So the first thing to realize about the tree of life is we eat of it as a gift. It comes freely. It comes graciously. The second thing is that it comes to those who overcome. You say, Brian, what does that mean? Does that mean I've got to be a super special Christian to make it there? I've got to be sort of a a cut above all the rest? I've got to be in the spiritual marines and all these other people don't make it? They don't get to eat of the tree of life? No. Every true child of God is going to overcome. Who wrote the book of Revelation? John did. Who wrote the book of 1 John? John. So let's see what John himself says about the people that overcome in the book of 1 John. Go to 1 John 5, verse 4. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. There's our first clue. So, what has to happen to you if you're going to overcome the world? You have to be born again. You have to be born of God. You need to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You need to be made a new person in Christ. Okay, let's keep reading. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So who's going to overcome in the end? Believers. Are you a believer? Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and Savior of sinners, the one who bore your sin at Calvary, who rose from the dead for your justification? Do you believe in Him? Do you trust Him? Then you are going to overcome. Take heart. You might not feel like it at any given moment, but we're not looking at the failures now. We're looking at the long haul of your life. God is working in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. He is going to purify you. He is sanctifying you. He is enabling you to overcome the world. If you trust in Jesus, you're going to eat of the tree of life. It comes as a gift, and it comes to those who believe, according to Revelation 2.7. Now, let me talk to anyone here who's never been converted. These blessings are offered to you today. (laughs) There are no greater blessings in this world. Talk about money, forget it. Money can't compare to these blessings. One day we are going to die, and we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give an account. It won't matter how many billions of dollars you made on this earth. Scrap money, scrap power, scrap position. Scrap all the things you think are so good. These blessings are offered by God to you. Why will you hang back and not receive it? Why will you not come and throw yourself at his feet and plead for mercy and say, Give me this, Lord. Give me the gift that you offered. I receive it by faith today. I'm willing to turn from sin and to turn to Jesus. What in heaven's name, stops you from doing that. It's only the lies of Satan that are telling you the things of the world are better. Remember that Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of God. If you don't see the value in Jesus, it's not because the value is not there. It's because you're blinded. And Satan's the one that's done it. And I'm pleading on behalf of Christ in His name, come this morning and surrender your life and receive the gift of everlasting life through the cross so that you one day are going to eat of the tree of life. Come. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let it stop you. Come to Jesus today. The way you do that is by believing. Spurgeon used to always say, there's life in a look at the crucified. All you've got to do is look and see him bleeding and dying for your sins, and believe it. If you believe it right now, you're saved. As long as you stay unbelieving, you will never be saved. So I call upon you to believe. Believe the gospel that's been preached today. Hold it as that, that life rope. That if you don't clutch that thing, you're going down, you're going to die. It's your only hope. This is the only way of salvation, friends. 
There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is your only hope. Trust Him today. And for those of you who have trusted Him, worship Him today. Rejoice in Him today. Glorify Him today. Because He has taken you from the uttermost and placed, uh, the guttermost, I should say, and taken you to the uttermost. You are His bride. And if He's the King of kings, that means you're a queen. We are going to sit alongside Him. We are going to be seated with Him on His throne. We are going to enjoy fellowship with this one. We are going to partake of the tree of life. We're going to be healed of every ravage of sin. We're going to enjoy our King forever and ever. Worship that one. Worship that one. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name, worshiping you, extolling you, praising you, glorifying your great and mighty name, thanking you for what you have done for poor sinners like us. Oh God, would you give those who have never really looked and seen and believed today, would you give them the ability to do that? Would they cast themselves on your mercy Give them a heart willing to turn from anything that would stop them from having Jesus Christ. And Lord, would you make us at the bridge an army of soldiers carrying this, the weapon of this sword, this gospel, into every place we go. Today as we go to the park, may we carry it. Tomorrow when we get up and we walk around our neighborhoods, may we carry this gospel with us and may we publish it to every person. We pray that people would come to know Jesus because of you working in us and through us. And Lord, we pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen.